knowledge as power. Most people have a third hard time digesting modern science because it's mathematical language. It's difficult for our minds to grasp. And its findings often contradict common sense. Out of the seven billion people in the world, how many really understand quantum mechanics, cell biology, or macroeconomics? Science, nevertheless, enjoys immense prestige because of the new powers it gives us. Presidents and generals may not understand nuclear physics, but they have a good grasp of what nuclear bombs can do. In 1620, Francis Bacon published a scientific manifesto titled The New Instrument. In it, he argued that knowledge is power. The real test of knowledge is not whether it's true, but whether it empowers us. Scientists usually assume that no theory is 100% correct. Consequently, truth is a poor test for knowledge. The real test is utility. A theory that enables us to do new things constitutes knowledge. Over the centuries, science has offered us many new tools. Some are mental tools, such as those used to predict death rates and economic growth. Even more important are technological tools. The connection forged between science and technology is so strong that people today, that today people tend to confuse the two. We often think that it is impossible to develop new technologies without scientific research, and that there's little point in research if it does not result in new technologies. In fact, the relationship between science and technology is a very recent phenomenon. Prior to 1500, science and technology were totally separate fields. When Bacon connected the two in the early 17th century, it was a revolutionary idea. During the 17th and 18th century, this relationship tightened, but the knot was tied only in the 19th century. Even in 1800, most rulers who wanted a strong army and most business mag magnates, magnates who wanted a successful business did not bother to finance research in physics, biology, or economics. I don't mean to claim that there is no exception to this rule. A good historian can find precedent for everything. But an even better historian knows when these precedents are but curiosities that cloud the big picture. Generally speaking, most pre-modern 
rulers and business people did not finance research about the nature of the universe in order to develop new technologies. And most thinkers did not try to, try to translate their findings into technological gadgets. Rulers financed educational institutions whose mandate was to spread traditional knowledge for the purpose of buttressing the existing order. Here and there, people did develop new technologies, but these were usually created by uneducated craftsmen using trial and error, not by scholars pursuing systematic scientific research. Cart manufacturers built the same carts from the same materials year in, year out. They did not set aside a percentage of their annual profits in order to research and develop new cart models. Cart design occasionally improved, but it was usually thanks to the ingenuity of some local carpenter who never set foot in a university and did not know how to read. This was true, if the public as well, of the public as well, as the private sector, or as modern states call in their scientists to provide solutions in almost every area of national policy, from energy to health to waste disposal, ancient kingdoms seldom did so. The contrast between then and now is most pronounced in weaponry. When outgoing President Dwight Eisenhower warned in 1961 of the growing power of the military-industrial complex, he left out a part of the equation. He should have alerted this country to the military-industrial-scientific complex, because today's wars are scientific productions. The world's military forces initiate funds and steer a large part of humanity's scientific research and technological development. When World War I began, bogged down into inter interminable trench warfare, both sides called in the scientists to break the deadlock and save the nation. The men in white answered the call, and out of the laboratories rolled a constant stream of new wonder weapons, combat aircraft, poison gas, tanks, submarines, and ever more efficient machine guns, artillery pieces, rifles, and bombs. In this figure 33, a German V-2 rocket ready to launch, it didn't defeat the Allies, but it kept the Germans hoping for a technological miracle until the very last days of war. Going back, Science played an even larger role in World War II. By late 1944, Germany was losing the war and defeat was imminent. A year earlier, the Germans' allies, the Italians, had toppled Mussolini and surrendered to the Allies. But Germany kept fighting on even though the British, American, and Soviet armies were closing in. One reason German soldiers and civilians thought not all was lost was 
that they believed German scientists were about to turn the tide with a so-called miracle weapon such as the V-2 rocket and jet-powered aircraft. While the Germans were working on rockets and jets, the American Manhattan Project successfully developed atomic bombs. By the time the bomb was ready, in early August 1945, Germany had already surrendered, but Japan was fighting on. American forces were poised to invade its home islands. The Japanese vowed to resist the invasion and fight to the death, and there was every reason to believe that it was no idle threat. American generals told President Harry Truman that an invasion of Japan would cost the lives of a million American soldiers and would extend the war well into the 1946. Truman decided to use the new bomb. Two weeks and two atom bombs later, Japan surrendered unconditionally and the war was over. But science is not just about offensive weapons. It plays a major role in our defenses as well. Today, many Americans believe that the solution to terrorism is technological rather than political. Just give millions more to the nanotechnology industry and they, they believe and the United States could send bionic spy flies into every Afghan cave.